Welcome everyone, I'm your host Kylie Render and you're listening to the Farmer Story Podcast. We have the privilege today of interviewing Mr. Jeff Todd. He is the owner-operator of Gerlay Farms in Bozeman, Montana. And today we're just going to hear about his journey through farming and yeah, just get to know him. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Kylie. We're just going to start out with the first thing. Just tell me a little bit about your farm, kind of how you got started in farming, and just basically what you do on your farm. I'm the uh, the fourth generation that operates Gerlay Farms, and it's changed a lot through the years. My great-grandfather uh, actually homesteaded about a mile away, and then my grandfather purchased other farms, and that's what Gerlay Farms is comprised of now is a couple of quarter sections right on Norris Road. My grandfather, uh, he was a real advocate of the Jersey cow, and he also had leghorn layers, and that's where the name comes from. Jerley Farms is the J-E-R is from the Jerseys, and the L-A-Y is for the layers. So that's where the namesake comes from. It's kind of ironic because even when I had registered Holsteins, my prefix for my herd was Jerley. <laughs> so that was kind of ironic. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I think that's important when you're talking about past generations and how you incorporate them into how you run your farm now. I think that's really cool. So are you still like farming right now? What does your farm look like currently? Because I know you said you did dairy before, you had jerseys, you had Holsteins, all those things. What does your farm look like now? We've had some pretty major transitions. I went to Montana State University and received an animal science degree and implemented all of that into the dairy. So I started managing the dairy itself when I was 17. But by the time, let's see, time I was about 38, I met my wife in Bozeman, and she's from a a large ranch in eastern Montana. And it became apparent that the routine of the dairy wasn't healthy for our family overall. So we made a decision to sell the milking cows in 1998, which we knew would be compromising the cash flow of the operation. And, And we raised dairy heifers for a four more years. And then mad cow disease came through and we were in kind of dire straits. So I've actually worked off the farm since 2002. And Kimberly has worked off the farm since 98. We still keep the farm in the family and we still have a, you could almost call it a hobby farm because we've got a little herd of belted galloways and some sheep and goats and chickens. The majority of the farmland we lease to the neighbor now. And he also has been using the corrals for a number of years. So out of a couple hundred acres, 150 acres are farmed by the, the neighboring dairy. And then okay. mo- most of the corrals are used by his Holsteins. So that's okay. where we're at today. Yeah. So kind of going back to when you were doing the dairy, you said you started managing it when you were 17. So when did you become like the primary manager of the dairy? Okay, so let's see. I was in, Kimberly and I were in partnership with mom and dad with Jerley Farms from 84 through 94. And so in 94, I no longer, we broke the partnership up. We operated as a sole proprietor. And then we sold the milking cows in 98. And I mean, I still am a farmer, but most of our income now comes from other means, leasing the ground. We actually have a couple of rentals on the farm okay. that bring in a majority income. And since 98, the real cash flow of the farm has gone to maintain my parents' retirement and, and make good, easy lifestyle for my mom and dad. So, and, and dad's 91 now and, oh, wow. yeah. and really healthy. And 
It's worked pretty well. We now have my own son and his family living in the farmhouse that dad was born in and raised in, and I was raised in, and my son was raised in, and he has three kids and a fourth one due here in oh, March. Oh, wow. So, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you've had quite a few transitions over the years from your dad running the farm to you running the farm, and now you selling the dairy and then moving forward from that. So what are some things you did in those transitions? changing the ownership of the farm, and then actually getting away from that form of farming. What are some things that you did, do you think, helped you and your family be successful? Because you were just saying, you know, your family lives here. You guys all have good relationships. What is something that you did to make it so successful in that transition? Yeah, I guess identifying success is the key there. Because we realized back when, let's see, in 98, my oldest son would have been 13. Ty was 13, Tay was 11, and Tell was 10. And we realized that the kids had built a real good work ethic, but I wanted more. I wanted a different relationship than just a work relationship. And the same with Kimberly. We looked around and realized that at some point, some things you get locked into routines and they never change. And that's what drove everything that we did in selling the dairy was I wanted more out of my relationships. It dates back to like about 96. I started listening to the community and realizing that there's a term called grumpy old farmers. And I just prayed to the (laughs) Lord that I prayed to the Lord that I would not become a grumpy old farmer. I'm a people person. I'm energized by people. So that's when we decided to sell the dairy herd, knowing that the economics of the farm was in jeopardy at that mm-hmm. point, but wanting a different rhythm and flow within our family relationships at that time. So, yeah, no, I think that's a super important point that people don't realize is that sometimes when you relationships are the most important. So you took a, a huge leap of faith there and taking away that income and changing the cash flow so drastically. So I think that's really cool. And you're saying that is finding your priorities. Your priorities at that point were a different relationship with your family. Like, how crucial do you think that is in that transition? Like, finding your priorities is that something that you really had to do with that? Because, you know, some people's priority is the money. That's what drives everything we do. We can let circumstances drive us, or we can decide, okay, I've got some God given desires and needs and more important things than just the economics and the dollar. Now we would like to take a moment to recognize our very first sponsor, J. Merica Off-Road Recovery. J. Merica Off-Road Recovery is a small, locally-owned towing company based out of Bozeman, Montana. They are currently serving the city of Bozeman and surrounding areas. They specialize in unique towing and recovery situations with capability for a wide variety of weather, terrain, and vehicle situations. As a small, locally-owned company, they provide excellent and personalized service, as well as affordable prices. J. America is happy to tow any kind of vehicle, and they are proud to boast a 100% success rate. You can contact owner-operator Joey Tassell at 406-599-7945 or jradventures13 at gmail.com. And you can find them on Instagram at jmericaofficial. All of this information can be found in the show notes below or on our website at thefarmerstory.com. A huge thanks to J. America Off-Road Recovery for sponsoring this episode of The Farmer's Story. Now, on to the interview. 
And so that's what drove that decision was uh, to let the dairy go so our lifestyle would change. And I mean, that year after we sold the milking cows, we went on our first vacation as a family. We went clear back to, yeah, the irony is we went to the World Dairy Expo. (laughs) We could do that because we weren't milking cows. (laughs) And then we went clear back to the East Coast. We went to Washington, D.C., Rehoboth Beach. The boys always love Reggie White and the Green Bay Packers. We went to Lambeau Field. Oh, that's awesome. You know, so we did that. We did some really neat things. And we also went fishing 15 times that year. So <laughs> there was a reason for that. And, and I look back and I don't regret the decision to sell the dairy, even though in about four years, I no longer could make a living on the farm as it was. So that's when we stepped away. We started leasing the ground to the neighboring dairy. And he also started uh, using a majority of our corrals, our confinement area for his dairy cows. So in a way, the dairy farm has kept another dairy going. And yet we started our hobby herd of belted galloways. We sell grass-fed beef. That's one of the things we'll probably increase in the future is there's a real need for direct marketing here. And right now we only have about a dozen belted galloways, so we sell about 10 beef a year. I think that's something we'll expand on. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, that's super neat. And I think you're right about the direct marketing that People want to know where their food comes from now, and they're starting to be more aware of that, especially as we deal with supply chain stuff. Buying stuff from your local farmer is becoming much more to the forefront as far as what people want to buy. So you're talking about how your income, how your income changed after that. And I think that's super interesting because, you know, people think our culture, oh, you can only get money by working the ground and raising Mm -hmm. your animals. If you could tell a little bit more about that. And also, I know you work at MSU as well, and that's part of your income. Mm-hmm. So if you could talk about both of those things, that'd be... You know, yes. <laughs> so uh, Kimberly's a, a registered nurse. She's an RN and delivers babies at the hospital, which is a calling for. Oh, wow. She still does that. So she's been there over 20 years now. And for myself, I went through a time of really trying to figure out, okay, I'm not making full-time living on the farm. What am I going to do? And so I wandered. I experienced a lot of different jobs at that time. I uh, helped a friend with a gravel business and I did low voltage wiring for about four years. And, oh, wow. and I enjoyed a lot of that, but I decided that I wanted to interact with youth more. And so I went back and got a secondary education degree at MSU as a 49 year old. I was a very non-traditional student. You sit in the front, you interact with the teacher, and you become the target of a lot of the other students uh, because they don't want the curve bent so bad. By (laughs) And that was a a good experience. I actually taught school in Haver in the middle school for one year. Mm -hmm. It was just too far from my family and the farm and my friends. And so when I came back to Bozeman, I never did get in the school system here. But a job came up at Montana State University as the uh, post-agronomy farm foreman. And so I've been there for eight years, and, and that's been a, a real fulfilling thing for me. So I get to interact with dozens and dozens of projects, of professors, of grad students, of undergrads. I get to run a work crew in the summer of up to, oh, anywhere from three to five students. And it's six miles from home, from our farm. So it's worked really well. That's super cool. And I think that 
showing the different pathways that you can take with agriculture is super mm-hmm. interesting because I know, especially my generation is exploring those pathways as opposed to, you know, the traditional working the ground and, you know, working with animals and stuff. So I think that's a really neat pathway to take. So um, talking more about, you know, your transition off of traditional farming, what were some things that other people said to you? Were there people that didn't understand or the people now that don't understand Mm. either why you started farming or why you went off of the farm? There were neighbors that couldn't figure out why I would sell the dairy. I remember one neighbor in particular, I met him a month after the cows were gone. And he said, well, why did you do that? And I explained to him that we wanted something other than just work to be at the center of our relationships as a family. And he shook his head. He just couldn't understand that. There was a lot of sediment, I think, in the area with that. Interesting enough, within about five or six years, a lot of dairy hit some hard times after we sold the cows. And at one time, there were over 50 dairies here in the valley. And now there's, I think, seven left. And so there was a lot of us that had sold the dairy cows. And oh, about five years after I'd sold the cows, a lot of other dairymen were saying, man, you were so smart. But (laughs) I love animals. I love the dairy itself. That was intriguing. And that's why we're still involved with animals, even though it's on a much smaller scale. I feel real fortunate to have landed this uh, position at Montana State. I get paid to farm with some really good benefits. That's worked really well for me. It's super interesting what other people's reaction to that can be. Another thing about just people understanding agriculture, you said you worked with a lot of younger people, students, you know, you worked in the middle school and talking to especially kids, but even on, you know, older people too about agriculture. Do you see that people understand agriculture or are you Mm. finding um, more of a misunderstanding or just not knowing about agriculture in general? Yeah, that's a great question, Kylie. Um, There's more and more disconnect to our general public and agriculture. I mean, everybody goes back to a farm somewhere. Yeah. You know, and it used to be four or five generations, but it's gotten to be so far that a lot of people don't even know where that connection was. It's six, seven, eight generations. And therefore, they kind of forget that their food comes from somewhere. That's when the wake-up call happens with people when they really start realizing, oh, man, this hamburger is a lot more expensive. My food now is costing 12% of my income instead of 8% of my income. And all of a sudden, people realize, oh, yeah, there's a system in place here and those farmers are really important. So there's no doubt that in the general public, we've lost that connection back to the farm somewhat. I think there's a movement to reconnect again. And that's part of what we desire here with our farm. You could call it, oh, agritourism or or whatever, but we have a desire, Kimberly and, and myself, to create a spot where young families can come out and interact with livestock and see things growing and understand that their food comes from the ground. That's something that's kind of driving us moving forward. I mean, that's kind of what the show is about too, Mm -hmm. is that can rekindling that connection from, you know, you could say farm to table, you could say farm, you know, just the general public putting a face to those people that put the food on their table. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's super cool. Do you contribute that disconnect to just, not having a knowledge, do you contribute it to the way that media portrays agriculture? You know, what are some mm. things that you think contribute to disconnect as a whole? 
there's some very popular shows that have been made through the last 20 years that didn't put farming in a very good light. And so that definitely has affected the general public somewhat. And yet, anybody who gets to get their hands in the soil or manure on them from livestock, <laughs> you reconnect with the value of growing food and raising animals for food. I do think that there's been outside influences that have really vilified farming in some ways. More recently right now is probably the, I mean, you can't watch an evening program without having a message come on about, you know, whether you've been hurt by one chemical or another. The consequences of the U.S. farmer is that we have the least expensive food of any country in the world. Oh, wow, yeah. And so when people start having to pay more for their food, they start realizing that, okay, yeah, there is a reason that our budget only has 10% or less for food because these farmers do a great job. I think you're very right as far as there are some things that, and people hear that every day and then they just have this picture in their mind. And when they don't live near a farm, they mm. don't, they don't, you know, they can't, like you said before, they can't connect back to their family farm. Then it just seems like this distant overarching, like nemesis, mm. you know, they don't understand that it's people and that it's actually, you know, what's giving them their food. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I think there's, we can always do better as an egg community mm-hmm. in what we put out to the public too. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some amazing programs locally here that that program where all the fourth graders go out to that farm fair out, Oh yeah, you know, that connects every fourth grader in our Valley has a chance to go get their hands on some cream and make it milk. And, yeah. you know, there, there's some neat opportunities there. And as farmers and ranchers, I think we can be proactive in how we promote agriculture in a positive way. And that's happening more all the time. Yeah, no, I would agree that I think people are, especially the farmers are waking up to that the younger generation needs mm. to know these things because it's important. It's vital to our country. So, um, yeah, this has been great. At the end of our interviews, I always ask everyone three questions. So the first one is, what is your motivation? What is the reason that you began farming? What is the reason that you farm now? Back when I was 16, I was uncertain what I wanted to do. And the Lord just showed me through scripture that I was to work the ground of my forefathers. And that became confusing when I no longer worked every acre of the farm of my forefathers. That drove me to the realization that there's no better place to raise a family than out on a farm where you can have some work ethics developed and you know where your food's coming from. And so that's why, even though I lease out a majority of our farm acreage right now, I see a point in the future where I will be growing more food for maybe my family and my neighbors and my community when things change. And and eventually something changes. We can't continually be on this. Don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but we <laughs> we can't continue to go down the road we're going down right now indefinitely. There's going to be a day when it's really good to be able to grow your own food, store it, and provide for those around you. So that's really the main reason why we're going to stay on the farm. We'll be transitioning again. Hopefully, uh, I, I really think that there's a 
a future for one of my grandkids mm-hmm. or maybe one of my great grandkids yeah. to make a living on less than a hundred acres with a specialty crop. That thought is just really um, what makes a lot of our, Kimberly, my decisions is the thought that, okay, we have a resource here. We're going to keep it, uh, Lord willing, keep it in the family. And maybe someday there's some niche or specialty crop that we don't even know about that one of my granddaughters is expanding on. So that's the, I guess, the main reason. Yeah. And you kind of answered a little bit of my next question with your answer right then, like about being, what is your vision for the future? You kind of just talked about your vision for the future of your farm and stuff. Mm. What about for agriculture as a whole? What, what do you hope to see in the coming years as far as agriculture in America? Well, working at, at MSU, I get to be on the forefront of hundreds and hundreds of projects of research. Yeah. And they vary from variety development for five different main crops. You know, you got cereals and pulse crops and then the weeds and and then you've got plant pathology and then you've got so many things happening there. I think that the US farmer has always got more efficient. We found that limiting factor that's keeping our production limited and we've mm-hmm. replaced that and gotten more production out of it. So I think that's going to continue. However, there's going to be a movement back towards, it's not just going to be about the dollars per acre. It's going to be about the food value per acre, Mm -hmm. I think, moving forward. So things are going to look different in 20 years. I don't really know how, but things are going to look different. So Yeah, no, I would agree. Our final question is, what is your advice to your younger self starting out Mm -hmm. farming Young farmers starting out now, young people in general, what, what would be your advice to them? Well, first and foremost is to really ask the Lord to open those doors. And that's what I did back when I was 16. And even though it's been a bumpy road and we're not, we're not making a living full-time farming, I'm, I'm really grateful for the path that I've been able to be on. If I was going to do things differently, I'd probably look for a, a niche earlier on to maybe sustain a market and an income channel. Try to really think outside the box and find a niche. And and moving forward, I mean, as Kimberly and I retire, we're going to keep some of this grass-fed beef niche going at this point. Yeah. You know, maybe there's going to be another niche for our farm. But I'd look for those economic specialty niches to cash flow better than maybe w- what we did in the past. Yeah, no, I think that. That is awesome advice. Well, I I really appreciate you being on the show today. This has been a great conversation, and I hope we can talk again soon. Well, thanks, Kylie. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. You make it a great day. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to the Farmer's Story podcast. Other episodes can be accessed on all major streaming platforms, or you can check out our website at thefarmersstory.com. If you would like to contact me directly, if you have a question or would like to be on the show, you can email me at Kylie Render at thefarmerstory.com. All this information will be in the show notes below. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.